Welcome to the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio, the podcast for talent acquisition aficionados, HR lovers, and recruitment professionals out there looking to get inspired and challenge traditional approaches to hiring. Here, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the recruitment process, engaging fresh talent, managing tough internal hiring dilemmas, and of course, the future of talent acquisition. I'm your host, Sim Samra from Recruitee. I'll be quizzing the experts, asking the burning questions, and of course, bringing you great guests each episode. By the end of every episode, we'll offer a few hypotheticals and of course, tips to take back to your team and workplace. Hiring great talent starts with attracting the right talent. Here, an effective, engaging, and inclusive job description is key. Today, I'm joined by Casey Timorison, the talent partner from talent consultancy Beacon, based in Brooklyn, New York, and we'll be discussing how to scope for roles and bring a wide range of highly talented candidates into your pipeline. Casey, welcome. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the work you do at Beacon? Thank you for having me. Um, It's a real pleasure. So as you mentioned, uh, I'm with a group called Beacon. And actually, I started my career out at PwC. I was doing consulting in the financial services industry and ultimately just kind of stumbled into recruiting. I started out on the agency side. And long story short, that for me was kind of where I learned like the chops and ins and outs of recruiting. But ultimately, you know, the incentives there weren't really aligned with my own personal values. We were incentivized to make placements uh, and, and really just fill roles. Um, and there was a scenario where we ended up pushing to close a candidate that wasn't necessarily excited about this role. That just struck a chord with me and was something I, I didn't want to do. You know, this is we're, we're talking about people's careers and, and ultimately um, that kind of environment is is really tough to live with. So I, I stumbled around a couple of different consulting gigs uh, and, and landed in the startup world and ultimately at, at an RPO. And that model resonated with me because we really were incentivized to find the right fit and our, our commissions weren't really there or, or based on just filling the role. And I like that model. Long story short, uh, I got introduced to David Burke and Junie Ham uh, over at Beacon, who are both coming out of like really senior sales and marketing backgrounds and and they're exceptional leaders and, and people that I had looked up to. And we decided to, to take this approach with Beacon where we wanted to align the incentives and we wanted to help companies find great candidates, but we also wanted to redefine how you think about recruiting. So at Beacon, I work with companies to help think about how how to set up the foundational elements of their their talent program, and how to think about setting up recruiting um, as like a, a key business function for for success and beyond just filling roles and and placing people. You know, we we want to have a seat at the table, um, and we believe recruiters and talent professionals really are a overlooked piece of the equation. In a healthy economy. Employers are more than willing to expand and hire new talent. However, the challenge lies in finding enough quality candidates. So for industries that require special skills and niche expertise, it becomes harder. So do you have any advice or tips that you can give recruiters to help overcome this? As hard as it may be, you you still have to keep a multi-channel approach. I recognize this means that the floodgates are opened um, and you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose and 
that fire hose likely isn't great quality water. <laughs> so you have a quantity problem on, on top of a quality problem. But honestly, my, my opinion on the process isn't going to change much. You need to focus on the outcomes that this person is going to achieve and the competencies that they need to solve that problem. So we've created our own methodology that we call outcomes-based hiring. But I, I want to talk about an applicable situation here. So let's look at like a computer vision engineer. Uh, it's a buzzword right now. Everyone's claiming to be an expert and they're notoriously hard to fill. Um, so last CV engineer that we worked on, our inbox was flooded. Our outbound efforts were extra challenging because so many people are just more risk averse right now. And it makes sense, right? So we worked with the CTO to identify what we needed this position to do in the next one to two years uh, and really got to the root of it. And mind you, they had been working this role for a few months on their own, enlisted a bunch of agencies, and then we really dug in. So the challenges here were unique in that we were like trying to take existing machine learning algorithms off the shelf uh, and just retrain them. And that's ultimately not a scalable solution. So really asking like, why? Digging deep and really understanding that, hey, we needed to develop a, a suite of proprietary algorithms. That got us to the root of why the, the candidate pipeline was so hard to filter through. So we narrowed down the parameters to highlight folks that had more of that senior leadership uh, and really patents, right? Like that was a key piece to show that academic experience or the ability to generate your own unique algorithms was at the core of this role. So then we adjusted the copy to reflect these challenges. And then it became apparent that there, even in that crowded pipeline, there were only six or seven folks that were at that caliber. And then we took the outbound sequences and we tweaked them to really make our audience feel like the job was written for them, right? So this all helps in identifying the right candidate. And I think we did a good job of filtering through that. But the remaining challenges then is what you do with the unqualified candidate experience. And that's a tough nut to crack. So we really provided ourselves as much cushion as possible um, in terms of like setting expectations, honestly. You know, so we set up our autoresponders to let candidates know that we've got a, a high volume and we might not get back to them for a week. Obviously, we, we tried to get through that as fast as possible, but I think it's important just to be honest. And we weren't able to provide feedback to everyone unless they made it to a certain round. Now, in an ideal state, that's maybe not something that uh, a company wants to do. Um, but we were just honest based on our limitations. We leveraged any kind of automation that we had within budget, but really trying to keep that human element at the forefront. What are some common mistakes that recruiters make when writing job descriptions um, the old copy paste. <laughs> so I think re recycling job descriptions is, is definitely one of the easiest things to do. I think we've all been guilty of it at some point in our careers. But just listing like the day to day responsibilities, must haves, it's not really talking to people. Um, it's talking people talking about what you want. And it needs to be more of a conversation. So I like to think about the trade offs, right? If a candidate is missing one bullet point, should they not apply at all? I don't know if a job description, or at least some of the job descriptions I've seen, really kind of communicate that we still want to encourage people to, to stretch or to apply, even if one bullet point doesn't uh, match their skill set. 
And I think the data has shown that it's like disproportionately affected women as well. So we want to understand the actual challenges that need to be solved, right? And, and how do they tie that up into the broader goals and missions of an organization? And framing the job description as, hey, this is the problem that needs to be solved. And these are the skills that we think you're going to need to accomplish that. It gives the folks a chance to show why they might fit into that as opposed to like a disqualification process and, and dissuading them from uh, engaging. So my advice here would be not to rush the scoping process. You won't know what you're looking for and, and you'll end up changing requirements mid-process, down the interview stage, and it's based on recency bias. You want to know exactly what you're looking for from the outset and really make sure that the last candidate you interviewed isn't going to be the one that influences your whole job description. I got a question submitted to me by a recruiter, um, and he wanted to know how he could get creative when trying to fill a role. Do you have any out-of-the-box techniques that you use with, when writing your job descriptions? <laughs> so at Beacon, um, I am kind of known as the tool guy. I love it. I treat part of my job as like R&D. You know, I always love to look for, for new ways to automate things and, and what's at the cutting edge. But ultimately, I think being fancy is fun, um, but it's often not necessary. You know, the creative elements around recruiting generally should happen at the top of the funnel. But I believe your process from like screen scheduling all the way to onboarding should be pretty much nailed down. So, for example, you know, we've had to recruit orthodontists therapists across different modalities, um, construction workers, painters, and computer vision engineers. So the sources for each of those are going to vary. The channels in which we engage with them are going to vary, but the process after that remains fairly consistent. So for example, in, in getting creative, right, for, for therapists, we recognize that there weren't necessarily a ton listed on ZocDoc or LinkedIn, the typical channels. So we made sure that we tested all of the niche medical job boards and communities, but our success actually came down when we refocused the strategy around just finding out every licensed practitioner in the state and then going through that systematically. You know, that was our goldmine. So you could also think about the rest of the supply chain. So who do these therapists interact with? Who are their service providers? Can you break into those communities with like a referral program? I just want to emphasize, we don't want to overdo it with tools and tricks, um, but I think it's like strategically picking the right ones to get creative for each individual role. Do you use any tools to, to track how well your job descriptions are doing, the sort of activity they're getting? I mean, there's a bunch out there. I know bit.ai, uh, they track documents. Um, there's a bunch of ad tech tools like Hotjar and things like that and that yeah. track where people spend time on your website. But ultimately, I think conversations with candidates is still the best method. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you're on the right track when candidates are telling you, like, I felt like this was written for me. But in today's environment, you definitely want to use things like a gender decoder, textio, things like that to make sure that you're using inclusive language and that it sounds human. So when you're um, trying to get feedback from candidates, uh, do you mean you're doing this while they're in the recruitment process or are you putting out surveys or anything like that? So surveys are definitely a good way to go about it. I 
definitely try to lean in on the conversations that I'm having. If the first couple conversations I have with candidates, um, you could tell that there's a lot of ambiguity or they don't really understand. There's something in the branding or in the job description that we need to get ahead of before like the next sequence goes out or before we get too far along the process. But I'll typically slow down any like changes to branding or I'll, I'll know I'm on the right track when I hear candidates say, wow, like this was written for me. And I, I really strive to get that with every role within the first like 10 days. The next question is very much based on the current situation. So we're experiencing a shift in workplace dynamics uh, due to the ongoing health crisis. So how can recruiters adapt their job descriptions to match the new hiring market? You have to use your perks and like the EEO statement, honestly, you know, at a section where it's humanized and you're speaking with people, it's, it's not just to a candidate for a job. How are you addressing mental health? How is your company advancing the discussion around things like maternity leave or vacation policy or paternity leave? If you're not, then now is the time to think about your total rewards package or you don't deserve candidates, period, good or not. The onus is on the employers to really make sure that they have good rewards packages to showcase. And then it's, it's not hard. You, you do it honestly. You know, there's a lot of um, companies out here in Europe who who have good sick leave policies in place and uh, comprehensive healthcare and mental healthcare packages. And if they don't, this is definitely something they'll probably be revising. So I I just wanted to get an idea of w what it would be like in America because obviously it's a little bit different out there with the the benefits and packages uh, that you get with your jobs. Do you expect that to shift dramatically post-COVID-19? So that's a great call out. I think, fortunately, in the tech world, you know, there's a lot of companies that really do have best-in-class benefits. Um, they're kind of leading the charge. But I think it's the, that cohort of companies that are below the fold that maybe aren't embracing some of those more progressive policies it's time for, for candidates to really demand the change there. And it's up to recruiters to convey the message. I personally don't believe companies that, that aren't thinking about healthcare and providing some of those benefits that the, the current administration like isn't paying attention to, they don't deserve to get candidate flow and, and candidates shouldn't want to work there. But ultimately, I recognize many don't have a, have a choice, right? It, it's out of necessity. That I think is the opportunity for the candidates and the, the employees that are currently at those employers to start demanding change. Speaking of conveying a message <laughs> to the industry, um, using the correct recruiting language matters at every stage of the recruitment process. Recruiting language should highlight the human and relatable sides of a company. So do you have any advice on how to use recruiting language appropriately? That's a great question. I, so a, a big piece of this is the partnership with HR or, you know, understanding different HR policies. But ultimately, I try to speak to CEOs the same way I speak to construction workers. I'll make sure to ask why several times, really get to the root of it and, and understand people's motivators. Um, I think we need to avoid over committing to things. Um, and, and being honest about what you know, but more importantly, what, what you don't know. I think that should remain consistent. 
How many stakeholders should be involved in the job description stage of the recruitment cycle? And who do you speak with to write yours? There's a couple of schools of thought on this one. But for me, I think there should be less cooks in the kitchen later on in the interview process, but actually more at the outset when you're scoping the role. So too many interviewers can muddy the waters. You really need to try to have qualified interviews, collecting data at the right stages. But when you're scoping a role, I think you want at least every interviewer to know what you're looking for. Definitely the hiring manager, uh, an executive, and the recruitment slash HR team to craft it. And then right before the role kicks off, you want to give the rest of the interview team and supporting uh, functions the the chance to review or or comment to to tweak it. And for example, what I mean there is like when we hire front-end engineers, the hiring manager, so like the engineering manager and some of the engineers doing the job today will help us craft the JD. But ultimately, we make sure that the product team um, sees the job description since they're going to be interacting on a major project together. So part of that is what we call scorecarding. You know, some some of that is internally facing. uh, And then the JD is the external representation of that. Okay. Lastly, what are the priorities of candidates and how can recruiters stay up to date with the current times in their job descriptions? You know, as you mentioned in the US, I think this might look a little bit different. But I, I, I enjoy being pretty vocal about this. You know, it, it's healthcare, it's mental health, it's, it's human rights. And if you're silent, you're, you're part of the problem. Employers have all of the power here. And it's up to the candidates to pressure employers to do more. And recruiters can be, they, they really need to be the messenger on this. It's how recruiters can bring change in this chaotic world. And I actually believe this is the most important takeaway that I have for my fellow recruiters out there, you know, especially in America. You need to get candidates to share what's important to them and make sure that employers know that they have a lot of the power in our society and they're the ones that need to instrument change. Sometimes you're going to get stakeholders that aren't engaged in the recruitment process or they just want to fill fill the seat, see someone get hired. Like You can't avoid it. But when this happens, they're inevitably the ones that come to you when something is on fire or they they bring up like a net new concern once you get to the finish line with a, a role. And recruiters have to feel empowered to use that as a teaching moment. Tell them that, like, I recognize your concern, but if we reset, this is another 40 or 50 days that you're adding to the interview process. These are the costs. These are the opportunity costs. We want you to get ahead of this and help us at the outset of the role, but you didn't make time for us. Or we wanted to address some of the macro issues in the world that are happening, and we have to use our our voice to attract people that want to make that change. Is it unreasonable to ask uh, one of these stakeholders that you share these concerns and, and you get involved in the process earlier to make sure we're putting a message of positivity out there and attracting the right candidates? I think that's that's critical. And re- recruiters need to know that we're strategically sitting in a, a really important piece of how to implement and instrument change in today's society. And we have to use that to our advantage. Okay. Casey, we're out of time. Do you have any lasting words you'd like to share with our listeners? There was one topic that we didn't really dive into and it's really big right now, it's around bias. 
I am a, a white male, uh, but I've been asked to, uh, how do we address bias uh, in today's society? And am I the, am I a person that can comment on that or, or help that? And ultimately, I, I believe designing a process that removes bias and that is inclusive and that brings together the voices that are from a different perspective uh, of your own is really critical in today's time. And, and it's important that everybody finds a way to, to look at their sphere of influence and see how they can use it to, to make, make their employers agents of change. So that's my, my parting word here. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, Casey. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And best of luck to the recruiting team. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on the Talent Acquisition Innovators Radio. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And of course, if you did, feel free to share it on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you're most active. And if you'd like to be updated on when our next podcast is going to be released, you can sign up at blog.recruity.com slash podcast. See you in the next one.